0: It's a Modern Figures podcast hosted by Dr. Jeremy Wasem and
1: Dr. Kyla McMullen, where we are elevating the voices of black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce.
0: This podcast exists to highlight the stories of black women in computing, to inspire high schoolers and the young at heart, and to dispel the myths and preconceptions about black women in computing this
1: podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. This season is generously supported by NCWIT and CRAWP. The National Center for Women and Information Technology, or NCWIT, is a nonprofit community that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase the influential and meaningful participation of girls and women in technology.
0: And the Computing Research Association's Committee on Widening Participation in Computing, or CRAWP, endeavors to increase the success and participation of underrepresented groups in computing research and education at all levels.
1: Okay, we have a really special guest with us today. I've known her since when we were both starting off in our computer science programs. We have Dr. Wanda Eugene. Hey, how y'all doing? (laughs) Hey. so to tell you a bit about Wanda would mean basically reading a dictionary so she's an Mm -hmm. entrepreneur a researcher she's a triathlete community activist she does a lot her LinkedIn says that she specializes in design thinking digital innovation and strategy so just a little bit of background um, she got her bachelor's and her master's at the FAMU FSU College of Engineering her bachelor's is in electrical engineering and her master's is in industrial engineering. Then she went to get another master's because she needs all of the degrees at George Mason University, where she had a master's of arts in multidisciplinary with African American studies and instructional tech. After that, she went on to pursue a computer science PhD at Auburn University. So, Wanda, it is so great to have you here. Thank you, thank you. I'm excited. I've been uh, following you guys' show since you started, so finally to be uh,
2: to be on the podcast is an honor.
0: Well, I'm happy that you're here because we've had so many people, who I guess like. I don't know. They fit like a more traditional, I get a bachelor's degree in this, and I get a master's degree in this, and then I get a PhD in this, and now I do this. Right. And so having someone with your really varied background is really exciting. And then you ended up doing something that... I don't even know that they teach is an option.
2: Yeah, that sounds about my story. I um, have researched ADD, and so I just kind of make <laughs> up life. You know, someone asked me, like, how'd you end up on this path? I was like, you make enough lefts, you end up right. I don't mm. know. <laughs> that's a gem. I like that's it. A, that's I like a real it.
0: gem. Bars. Is that, like, something that your family influenced? Like, your your decision to just keep going until you found it?
2: Yes and no. My family has always been pushed education. Uh, My family's from Haiti, and um, and in migrating here, my my parents were really big on education first education. Um, But at the time, they didn't know what a PhD was. I didn't know what a PhD was. And if someone would have asked me then, this was what my future would have held. I would have had no clue what that even meant. Right? It would have been a foreign language for me. So you Mm -hmm. know, like they education was a big push. But I remember um, when I went back to school for um, either my my second master's and my phd and my dad was like oh nice honey and then he called my brother like something wrong with your sister you need to talk to her <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh, <more
0: school. laughs>
2: and i remember they didn't come to graduation of my second
0: master's was like, just call us when you're done we'll just just we'll come to the last one <laughs> no one came to my master's wow. graduation either yeah. so i understand um, i was i was i didn't even want to do it like my grandma said she was gonna come and then She went to another grandchild's graduation instead because she was like, you've already graduated Um, before. And I went to that. (laughs) Wow. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Grandma. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) No, I was different. You know, people sometimes choose not to walk if they're getting a master's on the way to a Ph.D. But I was like, look, this is going to give my family some like some point in the road to say, okay, I have done this, check. <laughs> yes. Now I'm going more, you know, versus just being in school for four or five, six of right. my years and them, you know, <laughs> and then being like, okay, when are you ever going to get out? I feel like they gave them like yeah. a milestone to kind yeah. of celebrate. That's good. So Wanda, so you have all these degrees. Did you always, were you like a nerd growing up? Did you love to read books? Because you have like so many different areas of expertise. Like, was this something in elementary and middle school that uh, also happened? Like, were you always doing lots of different So sorts it's of funny, activities?
2: I look back now, I talked to some of my friends growing up. I was a nerd and didn't know it. So I remember talking to my friends like, yeah, I was one of the <laughs> cool kids. And you know, the nerds. And they were like, you were never a cool kid. You were just with us. And I'm like, oh, I got the cool kid pass. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) but i've always just had a variety of interests but actually none of this was on my trajectory growing up um i always thought i was going to um have a life in theater um and um and i wanted to go to law school uh again growing up in a caribbean family success looked like one of two things you go into medicine or you go into law and the sight of blood makes me want to gag so law was always kind of my default condition and i Mm. spent throughout like you know uh, middle school High school, I interned at the public defender's office, I volunteered with the sheriff department, I did all the things that put me on the track for law. And you know, I was I've always been very animated. So I um, had been I went to a performing (laughs) arts high school and it was funny because like my high school had two options, performing arts and engineering. So I, I applied and got into the performing arts track and I remember Um, uh, uh, towards my senior year, my physics teacher was like, you know, this whole, the broke actress thing is played out. Um, you're really smart and she really consider a career in STEM. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know what that is, but that's lovely, you know? So. <laughs> and so she convinced me. I was in SECME, um, one of the um, science um, programs here in, in the state. And, you know, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I thought, you know, like I've all again, I've always been an inner nerd, but didn't really realize it. And so I, I used to love doing the experiments and all the things that come along with it, but I never met an engineer. I didn't know what engineering was. And so therefore, that was never on my path. Mm. And so when she tried to convince me, you should really consider, she was a rocket scientist or something, like took some time off to teach at, you know, the, the disadvantaged kids at the underserved of high school um, was probably traumatized by it, but wow. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> but you know it was life changing for me meeting her because she was like you really should be an engineer and I'm like yeah no clue what that is but that sounds wonderful you know and and so she convinced me to get an enge- engineering or apply for an engineering scholarship and so. She was like, you can still act, do all that stuff, but why not do it while pursuing a career opportunity that will generate continued, you know, a sustainable income source of income. So, mm-hmm. you know, I took her advice and you know, mm-hmm. I went and started mm-hmm. college um, with that. the still plans of doing theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I cont- and, you know, did that as much as I could. And um, but when I got into engineering, like when I started undergrad, it was like an eye-opening experience because I didn't have a lot of people in my circle that thought thought and you know, Engineers think a little differently and right? we kind of move a little differently Do and so <laughs> and so it was like eye-opening like I found my tribe and I was like oh, I got people y'all these my like <laughs> and they weren't kind of you know, your traditional engineers of what's kind of depicted but it was like you know we were like in like because um my undergrad was at family FSU we had a nice mix of, of minorities and so it was just the you know you had your cool black kids that just happened to be smart at the same time and I was just like there's more of us and y'all, y'all get me, and so like <laughs> even though, but I still, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I tend to have laser focus, so it's just like I'm gonna be like, you know, an attorney, and I'm gonna do, I'm gonna act, but this engineering stuff is cool because you know I like these people and I, I like they think like me, but that's not where I'm going. This is just kind of you know a hmm. segue until I get so to wait. my final destination.
0: So you were still focused on hmm. doing the law thing, yeah, even at the yeah. undergraduate level. Wow. So
2: part of the selling point with my physics um, teacher in high school was that I can pursue an area of the law. Pat law because right. in order for you to go into patent law you needed an engineering background and so mm-hmm. that was her selling point to get me to do engineering but without telling me I had to give up my law desires so I was like you know she was like you can, she was you know, a rocket scientist yeah, for real. yeah she knew how to work it. Yeah, that's awesome mm, yeah so having that. good mentors was like key for me but like she definitely
0: got me on that track She snuck that right in there, and you had no idea what was happening to you. Oh, yeah,
2: I took it. The whole line, (laughs) bait and all. (laughs) Wow.
0: That's so awesome. So... How was college? Did you love it at FAMU FSU College of Engineering? It
2: was it was definitely an eye opening experience. Um one of those things about coming from an underperforming school, um you don't realize how much you're not prepared. And so like, you know, it was kind of like that fear factor going in like I am not prepared for this. Like hmm. I knew like I I was not like a high achieving person in high school because I knew I was at an underperforming school. So I knew I just had to do just enough and it was considered amazing, right? Like just Mm. enough to fly. Okay, that's (laughs) like, you showed up to class. That awesome okay great <laughs> you know what I mean so wow. I did put a lot of effort but I, I didn't actually know in terms of what the options and opportunities were and so um, when I got to college I knew how much I had underperformed prior and so Ooh. it was just kind of this fear of like that imposter syndrome they're gonna find out that I don't know crap and <laughs> they're gonna run me out of here and so like trying to work twice as hard and and learning my how I learn right learning how I study like all those things and those habits had not been learned in high school or prior to so I had to kind Go through that process, and mm-hmm. and so what I learned quickly is I needed a network, and so I surrounded. Like I remember, our engineering school was three stories, and I would stand on the third floor and just look down. and This is when I, you know, got into my major courses. Um, mm-hmm. I would look down every day and see who the people I saw studying kind of in the atrium every day, and then those became my new best friends. Like <laughs> I, if I if I stick with you guys, I'm going to survive. And so I found them, right. and like and to these days, <laughs> they're still some of my best friends. But that was just kind of what I knew. What I needed to survive is surround myself for people who get it and they can help me figure out what I don't get. So, um, but it was a humbling experience. I always say, I you know, in undergrad, I pledge ECE. Like, you know, like, that was that was my sorority. <laughs> and yep. they hazed me. They put me through the ringer, But it was, again, all the things that I loved and learned about myself through that was worth it.
0: Aw. I know that you That's were awesome. also, like, involved with the National Society of Black Engineers, too. Was that at the undergraduate level?
2: Oh, oh. yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs>
0: uh <laughs> I didn't come in like, oh gosh, you know, I'm, I'm an underperforming student,
2: I'm going to do my best. I was, when I started undergrad, um, my, our institution was the number one party school in the nation. And I, I learned that the oh, hard wow. way of what that means to your grades <laughs> and GPA. And so, <laughs> someone, um, this young lady um, was the vice president of our Nesby chapter at the time, but she was also a TA for one of my classes. Mm-hmm. And so we used to have kind of our Union Wednesdays where everybody would kind of sit out there and you know, market day and the sororities and fraternities and they would sell stuff. So I was hanging out and she was like, I haven't seen a homework assignment from you in a while. Ooh. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay, so what mm. happened was, and she was like, you need to join Nesby. we have story study sessions and we'll work it out where I can get you through the assignments, but you need to show up and you need to, and so like, they grabbed me in and Nesby, our Nesby chapter just really did a good job of kind of getting me focused. And it was like, you know, and part of it was, I went to college, but I, I'd, I'd, at that time, this is before I found my, you know, my engineering circle. Um, the circle of friends were, you know, some people I knew back from my hometown and they weren't engineers. And so hanging out with social science majors was great. But when it's like I got to study and they're like, we did that, you know, for an hour, let's go hang out. And, you know, my engineering friends, like, oh, no, 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 we're doing this for the week. This is <laughs> There is no one hour thing. And I'm like, oh, is that how it's done? And so (laughs) (laughs) Nesby helped me make that transition of how much it actually took Mm -hmm. to be successful. And it's just, again, I'd never been introduced to that. So I had no clue. And so like, and then a lot of the friends that, you know, again, the people I identified in Atrium were also some of the Nesby folks. And they were Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is the process. And it was very like the I love like that that sense of community. Um and I took a lot of my um undergrad courses at FamU and FSU and I remember like I overslept for an exam that we'd all stayed up all night <laughs> studying for and like um uh, my crew of folks they're like in the class or standing outside of the class calling me like where are you? We're like waiting outside, like we we gotta get here. Wow. Like just that that motivation of, you know, we're all in this together and we're gonna succeed together. Part of that was because it was a historically black college and part of that was because of my nesby circle like they just really like circled around me to make sure that I was gonna succeed and I, I just love that 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 you're not in this alone kind of Mm -hmm. mindset. Yeah,
1: I like the fact that you said you're not in this alone because oftentimes people will come to college and think I know everything or I'm supposed to know everything. I don't need to lean on other people. Mm -hmm. I don't need anyone else's help. But no, your community is what helps you to get through. Like you can be as bad as you think you are, but you're not as bad as you could be if you were to actually (laughs) have some community and and all of that. Like I had a similar experience with undergrad too. Like, you know, we all took care of each other. I remember, you know, being the one calling people like, okay, this test is we are walking from the dormitory at seven (laughs) forty two. Where are you? Like, (laughs) why are you not here? Right. Looking out but that's so it's so crucial. It's so critical. Yeah.
2: Community is everything, at least me and my journey that's kind of defined me is like you know it's the old saying i can tell you who you are by the people you surround yourself or however the saying goes but Mm -hmm. um that has definitely been true um throughout my my um process just because a lot of things you just don't know what you don't know and because we all bring our unique experiences you borrow from other people's experiences and you take that and to help you know shape your journey and and that's what i was fortunate to do um over the years
0: yeah i think too there's a misconception that like even if you're somebody who like my parents both went to college right and i have grandparents who went to college that's uncommon in our communities right but i think what's interesting is like there's this idea that that somehow gives you an advantage if mm-hmm. they aren't engineers <laughs> it's a different world yeah <laughs> they can't help me (laughs) (laughs) they can tell you what college is but they can't like yeah like nobody is about to take this statics exam for me nobody is going to tell me what's on this physics 2 test like I don't know how to do this homework and they can't help me with it and so really it was like the same kind of thing like you you find the spaces that support you and that are willing to give you what you need to be successful because otherwise it's just like um, and
2: even still, is there's something to be said of those who are in the fire with you, yeah. right? Like, you can have family and friends who've gone that journey before, but... At that moment, when you're in the trenches, you look around at the people around you mm-hmm. and you're all like, because I remember studying for exams where like, I, I remember being in the same chair as the sun <laughs> rose, the <laughs> sunset, and the sun rose again. Oh my and like, we all just looked at each other like, but it, it, there's something to be said. Misery loves company, right? Mm-hmm. Like, at least I'm not in this alone. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so.
0: <laughs> I would have left y'all. Yeah, I I was doing all-nighters. Sleep. I do. N- nope never not doing it
2: we were in survival mode like because even and that i think that was the thing that was interesting because i seen some of the friends who again their parents went to college or you know they went to some of the high most higher performing schools or top students in their classes And we was all on the same struggle bus when it came. like everybody had their struggle, right? And it was just like, and that was the thing. Like it, this had nothing to do with how well you prepared before, Mm -hmm. you know, right now at this moment, this is, you know, (laughs) some of these courses, they really just like, they got at the core of you Mm -hmm. and like, and, and some of the people I, I've seen like even in grad school they just reached a point where it was like I'm not doing this I'm not you're not gonna break me down like this right? <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> so you know this core group of friends did you all do the master's program um, or did you all like positively influence each other to do that or did people kind of take different paths
2: oh we all took different paths we um I think about so it ended up being we all it's funny um we all ended up being on like the same Nesby executive board together so we were like our chapters oh, wow. board and it was like a crew of ten of us, and to this day, we're still like besties in some sense, and and we like texting. Ma- um, we have a group chat that we we talk in and, and hang out on. We get together for um, weddings, uh, babies, etc. So like, there, it's, it's our core ten that we um, have always remained in, in in contact with each other. But we didn't do, all do the masters Some went directly into the workforce. Um, about maybe four or five of us went into grad school. Uh, but we still supported each other along our journeys in different ways. And I even Even now, when I call on experts, you know, you realize your friends are in different places of life and I can kind of call on them on their expertise. And so they're just still kind of my my go to people for a lot of things in life.
0: Not going to lie, like when Wanda and I finally got, I guess, more connected than we'd been, I remembered her relationship with a grad student when I was a graduate student at Florida and I was just like, I feel like I know you. <laughs> because it was like she was always there, but she wasn't actually there. Right. You know what I mean? Like, because they were in constant communication with each other and, like, supporting mm-hmm. each other so much... I felt like I already knew Wanda that's oh yeah like, and, that, and that's almost that's and like awesome. even my
2: family like they have become my extended family and so they're up mm-hmm. they're so up to date on all the things happening in their lives it's just like we feel like we like when they come to visit like I've seen like we, we even though we haven't seen you in a while like it feels like we talk to you all the time because Wanda's always well we, you know I'm doing this with them or we're doing this and we talked about this or they yeah. just sent me this and so it's just yeah we're constantly yeah. very active in each other's lives. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've
0: known you like a decade longer than I've known you. (laughs) I (laughs) believe. That is hilarious.
1: <laughs> so switching gears, so you finished your master's in industrial engineering, and then you decided, I haven't had enough book learning. I'm going to George Basin. So what made you do that and completely, you know, do a whole different degree outside of engineering? So
2: um, again, remember I said my journey was to go into patent law. And so when mm-hmm. I finished uh, my master's, I would applied and um, was on my on the track of going to law school. And I would met, um, she was at the tech transfer office at FAMU you and mentor there. And she was like, I'm not sure if patent law is a good fit for you. And just kind of based <laughs> off of what she was learning about me and, you know, she lit- walked that road. And so she, I made a deal with her that I would defer enrollment <laughs> into law school for about a year. And then I would go work at the patent office. And so she formerly of the patent office, she made, made some phone calls and helped me um, get into that, that track. And I got into the patent office and I would, the goal was that I was supposed to stay there for a year. And if, you know, it was good. And I, and she was like, you know, it's still positives all the way around because that'll kind of see you, show you the other side of things and if you decide you want to go to law school after that then you'll be better for it. So all good mm-hmm. and I went there and after about 2 months there I realized I'd made a horrible mistake. <laughs> like- <laughs> and it was like the most defeated like feeling like this whole track oh. I'd been on since high school I I was wrong I was wrong this just was bad damn. it was all bad and there was nothing oh. wrong with it it was just not a <laughs> fit for my personality and it was just mm. kind of a real mismatch and like and I think after the first few months where you're like you do all that initial learning and it hit me like so this is what I do every day for the rest of my life <laughs> god. oh god no and, and I remember recess. <laughs> and I remember going going Home for Christmas break, um, like for, for Christmas holidays, and I was talking to my dad. And he's like, How's the new job? I'm like, It's good, you know, everything's going well. He's like, Are you sure, honey? And I'm like, Yeah, you know, love the new experience, my first real job. And he was like, I should. And finally, I broke down. I was like, Daddy, don't send me back, please don't send me back. Aww. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no>. and so <laughs> kind of determined to make it through the year I came back um and went you know and grind out for a few more months and I would made myself um so miserable because I was so unhappy with kind of where things were and not really sure what to do with my next steps I started having some health issues and my doctor was like the stress was was kind of impacted mm-hmm. was having a real um, negative impact on my livelihood and I had a choice to make and I was like no choice there I put in my letter of resignation that was the choice <laughs> um, and so then yeah. um, again one of my same friends from undergrad happened to be interning in the DC area and was staying with me and so we kind of put up a big whiteboard like what does what it was the one Wanda's Next Steps Whiteboard. And we talked about all the things I was interested in and and all the problems I've talked about and the things I was interested in solving. And one of it that had bugged me some time prior, I was in a store and this is kind of when um the digital divide conversation was happening and i saw a guy mm-hmm. in the grocery store trying to fill out an application um to be a bagger and they pointed at the computer like fill out an application there and you're good to go and he just had this most horrified look on his face and he walked out the store and like like, like that just really bothered me i'm wow. like what are we doing in terms of as as you know as as creators like we're creating um uh, this you know, and that's when i really saw the digital divide come alive right like you can't even be a bagger if you can't use a computer. Computer, like we're right. putting the you know the blame and responsibility uh, you know on the victim, and like we're not actually mm-hmm. creating real real solutions, and so like that started to bother me, and I would spent a lot of time talking to my circle about that, and so that came up on the Wanda's to do board, and so <laughs> and so I had looked around, and and you know and and you know my friend made the suggestion, like
0: I'm literally sitting here trying not to say Wanda Vision board. I know, yeah. I like my spirit just wanted to, <laughs> well the Wanda Vision I'll say it for
2: you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so Thank you. the Wanda Vision board, and we were we, so we we spent some time looking at that, and and you know he made the suggestion when you don't know what to do, go back to school, and so and mm. so I looked at these problems, I in questions I was interested in solving, and I wasn't too far from where George Mason, and so I had some contacts there, and and I went to talking to some folks there, and um and they said they had a multidisciplinary master's program where I could kind of put these problems together and, and make up my own degree in solving them so I was like oh that's pretty cool and so that's what took me back to school uh, but shortly after kind of you know getting through my some of my coursework and, and trying to figure out some things um, I was told by one of the faculty there that the problem I wanted to solve was too big for a master's and I needed to consider the PhD um, and I'd consider where I wanted to do that at and how I wanted to approach it and when I started to look around like um I enjoyed my interdisciplinary program, and I loved, um, you know, the things I was learning in education and and the thought side of that. But I'm and that's when I realized I'm truly an engineer at heart, and I like and engineering mm. is about what can you build, what can you and you know I love the theoretical analysis that I was learning in, in education, but it was just this need of I gotta fi- I gotta build something, I to fix this, I gotta create something, and so it's like whatever my next step was, it had to be back in STEM, and so I started looking mm. at different programs and. I found um, uh, the, the PhD program that I enrolled into, and and that one kind of, and that's for the first time I learned about user experience and, and that whole area of computing. And the more I learned about computing, I, I actually hated computer science in undergrad. It's like, well, of course, that I, was just, I thought it was the most boring. Um, like Coding just wasn't exciting to me. But what I learned quickly about computing is it was my vehicle that I can use for anything else, right? Like I have mm-hmm. research ADD, and in computing, I can solve problems in education today, and and healthcare tomorrow, and and like um and you know economic disparities the next day, right? And I can constantly change my mind and reinvent myself, but I'm using the same vehicle. And so, computing seemed like a really good fit for my personality and the way I think about things. So that was kind of a natural next step for me.
1: Hmm. that's pretty cool. So, how did you pick your program? Because you went to a very specific school with a very specific PhD advisor who's very well known. He was. Season season one guest, but yeah, how did you choose where you were gonna go?
2: So that was a lot on him. Um,
0: I looked <laughs> at a
2: lot of programs by this time. Surprise, surprise! <laughs> right. By the time by the time I'm deciding on PhD program, I already had two masters. Um, majority of the um, PhD programs I looked at, they wanted you to get another master's in their program. And by that time, I was like, look, I'm not getting nobody. No, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm good on masters. Yeah, so no degrees. thanks. And but so I don't want to. And so that that was something I was just like, I'm not doing that. I'm not, you're not going to make right. me get another master's. degree. So that was one issue. And the other was I had a very clear idea of what the problem I wanted to solve. And a lot of the different um, professors I had talked to, they had research with that they were already working on. So it's like, if you join our team, this is the research space you, you, know, you would be. In. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I know what I want to do. I c- literally came in with my topic and it was like, I just want to work on this one topic. And that's really the only reason I'm in the PhD program. I was never one of those people, like I always wanted a PhD. PhD, and I forget um, one of my undergrad mentors had always said it, and I was like I'm never getting a PhD I have no interest in doing anything in academia not of interest whatsoever and so it was kind of hindsight when I <laughs> talked to him later like guess who's in the PhD program surprise <laughs> but uh, but you know it was kind of like I'm very problem driven so it's like if the PhD is the way I have to approach in terms of solving this problem then fine I'll, I'll go on board but here's my terms I want to solve this one problem I'm not getting another masters and you know. (laughs) know when I spoke to my PhD advisor who became my PhD advisor he was like you know yeah sure you come here do whatever you want you know we have funding we'll pay for it I can do what I want I don't have to get masters and I got funding yeah let's do this
0: (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's
0: awesome so I guess like from there how did you I mean you said you had your idea so we kind of talked about that a little bit but like you had to do the research mm-hmm. and you hadn't really done research yet right oh, like that's a good had point. You? I'd
2: done a little bit of research with my master's program so um the the okay. but it wasn't it, it, it laid a lot of the foundation of the work I would do in my PhD and just kind of helped me understand the space. But you're right. I did have to do the research. And that was um, a very interesting um, experience because the idea I came in, like even, I, knew, I felt like I was chasing like this, this carrot that I would never catch. Because when I finally got into the PhD program and I'm like, okay, here's the area I want to study. Here's my topic. And they're like, that's actually too big for a PhD. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. That's what they told me with the master's. Like, I got to do this they again. They told me, come <laughs> over here. And so I was like super frustrated. Like, no, like y'all told me this is what I got to come here for the PhD for and I can study this. And, and you know, and mm-hmm. everyone was trying to be very gentle because I was just very like, eh, like you going to let me study what I want to <laughs> study. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I had a research fellowship um, with a program at Stanford and University of Washington. And I had some really good professors that I got a chance to work with and a really good team. Of people. And I remember they had to do an intervention. And so some of them sat me down, like, okay, we understand you're very passionate. And we love that you're passionate, but this will not happen in a PhD. Do you understand no. us? This will not oh. happen. And
0: I'm like, but but
2: oh no, this will not. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like you're trying to live here right right never want to finish and so I finally had to call my advisor like okay I give (laughs) so I think it was the forces combined again that community right getting the community of people to kind of get me to see like the PhDs should not be a 10 20 year journey right it should be kind Mm -hmm. of a check mark and this the things I was interested in would would be a part of my (laughs) life work and so um once I finally like accepted that this wasn't defeat but it was just kind of you know parsing out some things um then I I I was I was good to kind of uh could to do the research that I'd planned I needed to do to get the PhD and then you did a (laughs) postdoc
0: wait you did more than one postdoc. I did I did yes
1: Wanda okay (laughs) how we get there I know the story let
0: me just like let me just like think about this (laughs) for a second okay like let me just break it down for everybody who's listening (laughs) Bachelor's degree, master's degree number one, master's degree number two, PhD, postdoc number one, postdoc number two. I feel like you got 10 degrees.
2: I've been around the block. six. But again, remember I said I'm research ADD. So I find stuff and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I want to work on that, right? And so it was just kind of opportunities. But it was a combination of things. When I was finishing up my my PhD, um, I studied um, culturally relevant computing. And at the time, culturally relevant computing wasn't really a thing so to speak and so it wasn't something it wasn't hot, it wasn't hot right mm-hmm. it wasn't hot and so it was um i got a lot of pushback right and so mm. i thought i started to think well maybe i'm kind of barking up the wrong tree right and so mm-hmm. um and, and this is like at the time where kind of the understood Thought in the space was computing can't be like have cultural bias, right? Computing is just right. ones and zeros, and so like right. you're constantly like presenting your work and talking about your work, and and people Mm-mm. are kind of giving you that hard side eye, like yeah, not so much. And so finding a space for my community, um, the work I was doing, it was like oh, that's too educational, or or not you were not. too early, yeah. So it's just right. finding relevancy is just like you know what, maybe I need to back off from this and kind of find my mm-hmm. niche in another place, and that's kind of what led me to my first postdoc and so I was with a team that did more like gaming um and Mm -hmm. and gaming analysis and so I kind of went that route for a little while um and then um, my second postdoc was um looking at like disability and um assistive technology in the voting um space Mm -hmm. and so like those were just kind of me kind of finding other ways to apply the you know my expertise that were more acceptable so to speak at the time than the things that you know I, I started off doing
1: but I feel like just to to interrupt the culturally relevant part that was a validating part of my experience because I met you around that part at Auburn and I remember us you know having conversations in the hallway you know us and our other now co-authors where we were like I think culture influences technology like this me too Mm -hmm. I got some thoughts let's get together and write a paper and that was my first paper (laughs) was this the hallway conversation that you
0: always reference like that was and I
1: was like this I was like I I have these ideas but nobody at my school is really you know they're not checking for it but we all were at all these different institutions and like we're gonna write a paper we got it accepted people still cite it i get my little alerts but um <laughs> but no it was something validating for me because it showed like i can have something that i care about that's relevant to my culture and in computing and people acknowledge it as something significant even though it wasn't my main research area like and then just also working with a bunch of black women on a paper as your first paper like that was just it was amazing one person already had their phd yolanda used Mm -hmm. to get us together yes (laughs) so we would just go in these circles sometimes and she'd be like Put her foot down look we have to stop and we need to decide xyz and i love her for it because that's her personality but all that to say i like the fact that um that was part of i hate the fact that people didn't really recognize that as something significant in your story but it was definitely something significant in my story yeah and that
2: was something because we had um so i had a, that paper i had another paper that i did again with my same circle from undergrad so um uh i Uh, uh, We
0: I cited that paper. Yeah. So that (laughs) that
2: was us again looking at. So we it was like it was slowly coming to the surface where we realized this was a space that nobody was talking enough about. Right. And Mm -hmm. but for me, for making it my research, my main area of research it was just hard to make traction when you're getting so much pushback. And so it was just like, yeah. well, let me start adding some other things. Cause my research did t- um, touch on some other areas. So, you know, I did some stuff in natural language and I did some stuff in, in all these different spaces and, and data analysis, et cetera. So I said, like, well, let me just try to focus more on those spaces. Cause the cultural thing, it was just like, it was just, it was a very challenging space to be in at the time um, coming from mm-hmm. where the angle I was working at. Right. And, and I see now like it's, you know, it's super like it's, it's, it's the thing. Everyone knows, like, it's, trendy. it's where yeah. I live. It's it. it is now where I crazy. live. Right. But, like, you know, <laughs> back for, oh, God, how many years ago was that?
0: Uh, yeah, cool we're talk about you, it. Was, yeah, we were. Yeah, like, <laughs> we I was about to like, like, I was like,
1: yeah, oh, I think was it was a while ago. But, well, yeah, we y'all can that. look it up.
0: Yeah, go ahead and look up those references. Yeah. yeah Google Scholar, so see.
2: <laughs> Yeah, so so I think it was just, you know, the, the times, right? And, you know, we talk about sometimes, like, kind of being in that space, Um, and not necessarily feeling you have the voices or the support or the right Mm -hmm. resources to kind of really like, Mm -hmm. you know, make that, that, and I'm not necessarily like at the time I I realized that, you know, I could have done things differently. I could have pushed harder or fought harder, but it was just like, you know, that's a, that's a funky thing when you're coming out with a PhD, like you kind of come out with, I need to get a job, right. I need to get, you know, hired. I need these different opportunities. Um, And I'm not necessarily in a position where it's just like, I'm going to like put my stake in the ground and be like, be a force to be reckoned with. Like, you know, um, I have a, a, a my one uh, uh, my same friend, and I'm not sure if, you know, we say names of folks on the podcast, so I, I'm, you okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so, yeah. so me and Anderson used to have this, this joke about like, you go into the PhD process, you know, especially in the African American community, we talk about ourselves as kings and queens, and so it's like, you go in there as a king and queen, and the PhD process is so humbling that you come out of it feeling like a runaway slave, like, yes, master, <laughs> sir, I'm going to take what you give me, sir, like, yeah, yeah you need a job, oh sir? Yeah, God. I'm going to give you something.
0: <laughs> I can I just, I can see I Anderson right. doing this. <laughs> I apologize.
1: That's wow, hilarious. more real
2: than y'all needed, but um,
1: like, that's hilarious.
2: But it, 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 like it's So with that, you come out with like like I'm not trying to rock any more boats like give me my degree let me get a job I'm just gonna sit here and mind my own business mm. you know what I mean and mm-hmm. it just takes a yeah. while before you're back into that okay I want to change the world kind of mindset but initially like you just come out feeling so beat down and it's
1: just like I don't want to do nothing like I just mm-hmm. I've survived <laughs> you know what I mean so <laughs> I used to call it purple elephants I say if they tell me to put a purple elephant on the front of this dissertation yes! and All it'll day! pass how big of an elephant and what shade of purple would you
0: like all day all day <laughs> right. <laughs> like i'm just i think you get tired of fighting. i think like you do get tired yeah but what's interesting about your story is like you you've used a term that i'm not gonna use <laughs> i think what you really have is an entrepreneurial spirit like it's it's the spirit of someone who's willing to test out a theory see if it works see if it fits and then when you get it to where you want it to be, you move on. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so it's and a pivot, right? And so just kind of yeah. always ready to pivot. Like, if, it's, if this ain't hitting, let me let me try something else, right? And I'm just going to constantly put, you know, a different iron until I kind of see, you know, like, uh, what's working, right? And yes, I've spent significant mm-hmm. time in this space, but if it's not what people are ready for yet then I'll, you know, I'll pivot to the next space right? And I still am passionate about that and I'm still am very much ready and see the need to be done in that area. But I'm ready to like, you know, take that knowledge and repackage it, right? um In a different manner that is, you know, more acceptable now. Cause right now, like it's, it's one of those, I can be a loud voice outside or <laughs> I can be a force to be reckoned with inside. And so at that yep. stage, it was like, how do I get on the inside, right? And then when mm-hmm. I'm there, I can pull mm-hmm. up all my tools And resources, and say, "Here we go! Now we're ready to fight these battles." And so, kind of thinking about
0: it from that perspective. This is how I fight my battles. (laughs) Yeah, I'm there. I'm I'm with you, girl. That's awesome.
1: I love it. So going back to the postdocs. So you did lots of different postdocs. And then how did that lead to where you are now?
2: So uh, when I was starting my second postdoc, I decided that I wanted to start um, my own company. Um, but, um, and, and again, it goes back to like, I was still chasing my my carrot, right? And so it's like, you can't do it in a master's, you need a PhD. You can't do it in a PhD, that'll be your life's work. And then like you get there and it's like, okay, try it in the postdoc. No, okay. You know what? I'm just gonna do it myself. Forget it. I'll do it myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I decided I wanted to start my own company. But, you know, I had been trained to be a good engineer. I had been trained to be a laborer, so to speak. I had no clue mm-hmm. what the journey of entrepreneurship looked like or where to even and start. And so I took the engineering approach to entrepreneurship. I'm going to research it. Right. And so I'm gonna try, <laughs> I'm gonna, or should I say the PhD approach, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna research it. And so I signed right. up for every kind of entrepreneurship program I can find and get a hold of. And then it was just kind of like, all right, I need to, I, I okay, I got all the, the pieces, I got all the I should be able to start this company. And I still didn't know what to do. And it's like, okay, well, now I gotta, okay, like, and so it it constantly felt like I'd watched a cooking show. I I had all the ingredients I had all the steps and I had no clue what to do like I didn't know where step Mm. one was and I was just Mm. lost and so this went on for about a year or so and finally I got with some of um with Shawnee, my my, um, best friend from from undergrad that I'd kind of gone through my journey with and Kristen one of my um, colleagues she was from my lab in in Auburn and we got together and we'd done some consulting stuff together here and there and it was like can we just start a company together and and we'll figure out as we go but like let's just do it and and again I I went back back to what I know I can do I'm stronger with community and so I went to the people mm. that have always kind of been you know I pulled from my network of people who were kind of in the same space that had capacity for this and and was like okay I have no clue what step one is but at least if I'm doing it together then we can kind of bounce ideas off of each other and then take that next step um and so um during my second post-op, um the the uh the team uh came down to Florida um which is um and I'm sure you guys covered that in your previous season, so I won't kind of go into that whole story. Um, but we uh, we migrated to Florida, which I'm excited because home team, home state, yes. so I got to come back home. So I was the first person to sign up, like, yes, bring me home. <laughs> um, and so shortly, uh, so while we were here um, in that time frame, um, uh, we got a foundation grant to kind of um, uh, to do some of the things that we had been um, talking about previously when we were in Clemson. And when we were in Clemson, we had, a, we started a conversation, I um, Myself, my advisor, my team, um, when, when we were looking at like the lack of minority representation in the tech startup space, right? And at the time it was like one less than 1% or whatever in terms of minority tech startups that were venture capital supported, etc. in the Silicon Valley mm-hmm. space, right? Which is kind of the, the Mecca. And so it's like, if we're not there, then we're not anywhere else. And how do we, um, how do we do that? And we started to think about like the type of capacity we had within our team, right? And at the time, we had the largest team of African-American um, computer science PhDs in the nation kind of housed together. And so it's like, OK, we got this team of, of, of people that have all this rich expertise. And our team is always looking at um, uh, uh, ways to give back to the community, ways to mm-hmm. uh, validate the things that they're doing to to the, to the people that they care the most about. And so we was like, how do we marry the two? And so we did a little bit of a pilot before at Clemson, but you know, we didn't get far with it before the move. And so once we got some funding here, it was just like, okay, this is our shot, right? And so then it was kind of my task to kind of create this, this program of, of how do we um, empower, um, uh, and, and, and this growth of entrepreneurship in our communities. Um, and so it was funny because like I said, I just came off the cycle of taking every entrepreneurship program I can find so it was just like oh so I'm building a program for people like me okay great so what does that look like (laughs) so so then it was just like throwing paint at the wall right and so we built the program. Well, you
0: knew what you didn't have, right? Right, like, mm-hmm. and so that was probably something that really helped the process. Along. Yeah, so
2: that was my starting point, right? When I look at all the programs and I, and I looked at different models of incubator programs in our community, and you know where the gaps were, right? A lot of times, mm-hmm. the community, the programs in our community, kind of start here, right? And our community actually kind of start back here. Right. In terms of a lot of times in our communities, we don't have that background knowledge. We don't have that ontology and exposure. So some people, even though they're not entrepreneurs now, (laughs) I'm using those words for you.
0: Mm. (laughs) That was just for you, Jeremy.
2: (laughs) Um, Sometimes in our communities, we don't always have that, you know, where um, those models of successful entrepreneurship that we can point to. Right. And so we don't have a lot of those systems put in place that a lot of people have observed or been a part of. And, and family businesses and so that's the thing that's missing and entrepreneurship isn't necessarily taught in classroom it's kind of trial by fire well if you haven't mm-hmm. had that exposure to even know what that looks like you're you're stepping into the fire blindfolded and so like that's mm-hmm. often a time like how do you overcome that and so we created a model of, of to, to do just that but I wanted to do something a little different like because again I'm a researcher so how do you know what works in something like this right how do you know you've mm-hmm. built something sustainable as a as opposed to like a fluke that just happened to work because you just happen to get the right people in the room at the right time. And so we proposed doing um, our program where we would target under-resourced um, communities. Um, so like every neighborhood has an east side, right? And so, or whatever it's <laughs> called, the other side of the tracks. And so right. we would focus these communities because we were very interested in terms of, in our communities, you have a lot of people with really good ideas of how to transform their communities, right? And they live there; they know the problems better than anybody else, mm-hmm. and they have some really mm-hmm. good ideas of the solutions. So, how do you allow them to give that solution a voice and empower them to actually do something in that space? And how do you know you you've done it right? So, we wanted to test this theory out, not just where we were—a coll- entrepreneurial-minded college town—but we didn't decided to take it to an um, urban community and a rural community to kind of see what does it take to take some to make something like this work in kind of these different dynamics and so we found east side communities in these different pockets and sectors and like repeated our cycle to see what what does it take and what before we did this we ran some focus groups right and so we brought in some local entrepreneurs some that were aspiring entrepreneurs and some that were more seasoned and kind of asked questions about what did you need on your journey what, um, what were some things that you wish you would have had and what are some things that are holding you back from engaging and so we we learned from them in terms of to make it very specific to this local community and to build something. So you
0: use that that user study model. Yes. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like. To say, I researched Computer the whole thing. Science. I made it all research. It was all research. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I and again, it. it's just it's what my it's how my mind works. So I
1: took the tools. You had those
0: skills too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I took
2: the tools I'd been learned. I was a good grad student
1: and, um, and took those. Right, that participatory design, <laughs> yes. and they designed their yeah. So their community. That's exactly exactly.
2: So we, so we went through that process, and what we. Really realize is we didn't actually need another incubator we needed a pre-incubator right because if there's a gap mm-hmm. where our community is starting here and most programs are starting here we needed to fill in that gap right and there was a lot mm-hmm. of us getting lost in that gap and so how do we fill that in so our initial model was we would um, create um, we were bringing um, our entrepreneurs for a, t- a 10-week session and then we would teach them um, concept, we'll take them through the process, the design thinking um, uh, thought process and um, lean startup. And design thinking was mainly because a lot of times, the biggest challenge our communities face, again, we don't have that vocabulary, that background, mm-hmm. and so giving them the language so that they can actually effectively communicate their ideas, because you can't get buy-in, you can't get support, you can't get collaboration if you can't get it out your head. So, um, giving mm. people that, that way that they can actually communicate, effectively communicate their ideas, um, such that when they leave... You you know, our program, they can continue to grow and build on their business. All right. And
0: so. Well, you gave them power. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like having having language gives you power. Like it's very true. It's one rhetoric is one of the most powerful things in the world. And it's super and so, frustrating
2: yeah. when you don't have that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that, yeah.
0: If I can't if I can't articulate to you, like what's going on with mm-hmm. me. That's a really hard place to be. Like, yeah. I don't even have the words to describe to you like what what I'm experiencing. That's that's hard. And then to have someone either misunderstand you mm-hmm. because you can't adequately communicate it like that's a really difficult place to be. And I can imagine that's exactly why we lost a lot of yeah. potential entrepreneurs. Because yeah. Yeah. it's just
2: like, you know, I can and beat my head against this wall or I can just say, forget it and, and you know, stick yeah. to status quo. Right. And so we had to build that into our model. Right. Understanding that, but also understanding taking my culturally relevant experience again, waiting till I got into mm-hmm. the door. Um, what does building a culturally relevant um, uh, uh, pre incubator program looked like. And it wasn't so mm-hmm. much about making sure that the speakers that we brought in were, you know, black and brown people or can like, shared experiences, but taking some of the needs in our community into perspective. So it's not just that we didn't also have the language, but we also had very different Barriers, right, um, and points mm-hmm. of entry, right, and and this is just something that we started to look at like very early on when we started to see people struggle initially through our program, and you know we would kind of reach out to them and hear about their struggles. It's like we had to be some, we had to be very adaptable to our our needs of our community. Like the common rhetoric of entrepreneurship, you would hear, and I don't know, you know, if people are still saying this, but like you know, quit your job, borrow money from your family, mm-hmm. and start your business, and you're not for right. real if you're not doing this a hundred percent. Okay, like most of our families, <laughs> the only thing they can give like, you, first of all, right? Like right. for most of our families, like in terms of entrepreneurship or anything at that level, right? The only thing they can give you is an applaud. Yes, baby, you do that entrepreneurship thing. I support you, but we just and don't a exactly that <laughs> a prayer and like you know like that verbal support and cheer you on, and that's you know the best mm-hmm. you can get out of a lot of our families. But we don't actually have that cushion that you have someone that's going to hand you over, like you know. Know, Twenty fifty thousand 20 $50,000 exactly money. yeah you don't have that kind and
1: of also and you don't have the stress of if this doesn't work I'm gonna be homeless If exactly. it doesn't work I'll just go and live with my parents in our nice house like yeah. you know it's so much of a more of a burden to succeed yeah
2: and that and that's something that you know that's a very real problem in our community like you can't just quit your job where, who gonna pay these light bills and where are you gonna live right and you know what I'm saying you can only mm-hmm. bounce around on people's couches for so long trust me I tried All of it that. but mm-hmm. like, so, <laughs> Whole other part of my life. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We ain't talking about that. Oh yeah, on the podcast, Wanda's also Wanda. a nomad. She's also a
2: nomad. no. It was. I was we very strategic. I was a nomad for, in in the middle of all of that for about four years of my life, where I stayed in a different oh, city, state, or country okay. every month, and mm-hmm. it was lovely. And I got a chance to experience um, life from all these different viewpoints, which also has fueled this is my a work. A different type of yes. vision, by the way. yes. The other part of WandaVision Vision, but um, so you know that's going to be
1: the name of this episode. <laughs> it
0: has to be. Has. What are
1: you talking about?
0: <laughs> was there ever? An option for naming it something else <laughs> I love it but um so so
2: we, we started thinking is how do you build in some of these barriers right like a lot of programs are just not designed and even the thought process of how one does entrepreneurship doesn't cater to where our communities are right now oftentimes and so building a program that not only gives them confidence in the verbiage but also gives them confidence that look it's okay to work your nine to five a lot of companies are built at you know five to ten right and you just have to make mm-hmm. sure that that time that you set aside whatever time you have you grind hard and it might not be a company mm-hmm. you're going to throw up in three months it mm-hmm. might take you a year or two just because of your life limitation and it's something we have to always remind our, our entrepreneurs life don't stop because you want to be great right like you have mm-hmm. these great entrepreneur aspirations meanwhile your kids still need shoes you know what I'm saying they need braces you, that bill yeah. still has to be paid life still has to go on and so how do you learn mm-hmm. to double dutch right and how do you learn to keep both wheels spinning and Give yourself a little bit of grace. Like we're so hard on ourselves as a community. Mm. That why aren't we, yes, you know, grace. running twice as hard? And come on, you gotta breathe. And I like I tell my entrepreneurs, self care is so big in this process. Like the worst thing to me mm-hmm. is to be successful as an entrepreneur. But by the time I get on it, all my money is going to my medical bills because like I need like all kind of counseling and all kind of health care. And all like I'm like I've fallen right. apart as a person. Like that's not okay. Mm. And so. Just always kind of thinking about building a program that takes the, you know, has a holistic approach, right? And and that, and and so some of the things that we started having to build in into um, uh, our processes was like time management, right? Like, think about like what, what, before you start taking on something new, let's take stock of what's on your plate right now, right? And so I work with a life coach, again, from my circle, um, um, Coach Roach from my circle of undergrad folks.
0: so
2: (laughs) So, yeah, and I took some of the skills I learned from her and like you know looked at that towards my entrepreneurs like take stock of what you have on your plate right now does it make mm-hmm. sense for you to be launching this new endeavor right now is this something that you know that I understand you want to do this and I understand your passion but do you have capacity for this in your life right now or this is something you need to table right or like in and, and, and all the things that go into entrepreneurship is hard in general right and the mm-hmm. the, the chances of failure etc are very challenging but thinking about it in terms of everything you got going on right now, does it make sense for mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, those yeah. are the, the things that we had to start building into it. Right. And we've seen like some of our, our entrepreneurs like come through and like our first two cohorts, like literally like just fall apart. Like they're balancing a very full plate and then one more thing and they're toppling. And I'm like, Whoa, Whoa. whoa. And, and it's almost like, you know, um, one of the things I learned from academia, it's almost like being a, you know, a faculty, you've learned to teach, you've learned your research and you learn the things. The things they don't teach you is like the mental health things that come along with it. And I think being in academia and especially in the past year a lot of the things that came up with a lot of the the civil unrest and the things that were coming up it's like I'm grappling with my own emotions yet I got these students that are like hey help me sorry that wasn't part of my training like <laughs> we don't get right. that kind of pass right like no no one really trained me to deal with that stuff I, I but I can talk about research and I, I can talk about this paper and you know like those type <laughs> of things like and so it's the same thing where in terms of like we create and in and, and creating this pre-incubator, pre-incubator we tried to create Like this, again, since community has been my strength, I tried to create a sense of community for the entrepreneurs that come through our network. And they, they started to rely on us, not just in terms of building their business, but like, again, that holistic approach, like how do I like keep it together in the midst of all this? And so it's just like, I'm not trained for that, but (laughs) here's some resources and pointing them and helping them connect for the right resources such that they can continue. And I'm like, if you need to pause your entrepreneurship journey to take care of you, that's okay. Right. And you know, and some of our, our entrepreneurs they did that, and they come back a line, and it's like as long as we're still here, we'll support you in any way we can. But don't feel like this pressure of, I am, you know, I'm I'm, I'm hanging on by a thread, but I'm gonna still chuck it. Like that works yeah. for some things, but in terms of your own mental health, that's not always effective, and it hurts your business. That's a
0: good, yeah, yeah, that's a good lesson just in general. Though I think like for graduate students, for faculty, for all of us who do like work that, you know, it's it's almost like an enigma. Mm -hmm. Like we don't know what we're searching for, what the answer, the answer isn't very clear Mm -hmm. and you can throw a lot of energy into trying to figure out that solution, the best solution to that problem and forget that like you're still here too. Like (laughs) that you're a human first and that you need to value your humanity over anything because if that's gone,
1: who are you?
2: (laughs) your your legacy will live on, but you shall not right, right. yeah,
0: like you yeah. know, so i I try to tell people and like and students too, like you are a human being first, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think you model that really well, like Kyla introduced you and said you're a triathlete. you take a lot of time. I think a lot of people would not even consider using the time that you do to like invest in your body and your health and your wellness. Yeah.
2: So that was <laughs> more by, I think after you, so the PhD process, you don't realize how much time you spend sitting. And so like you're sitting, mm-hmm. you're snacking, mm-hmm. you're sitting, you're coding, you're sitting, you're. <laughs> and I remember part mm-hmm. of my PhD, like I said, I was a bit of a nomad through some of this. I remember staying with my brother um, through some of the process and he went to work, came back, went to work and came back. And then he came home one day. He was like, you need to get out. He's like, you have not moved from that spot. And I'm like, what? What day is wow. it? What? You, you just left. He was like, that sounds like your
0: undergrad experience <laughs> 2.0. Right, right. So, <laughs>
2: you had a lot of good practice doing that. <laughs> and so basically. he was like, I want you to go outside and feel the sun <laughs> and just like, breathe wow. in some fresh air, do mm. something. And and so after I finished the PhD, I remember um, some group of friends. I've always been very active, just always kind of uh, up and about kind of person. Um, they want to go for a hike, and you normally with stuff like this, I'm leading the charge. I'm running ahead. Come on, guys. And I remember halfway up the hike, and I'm like, wait, go ahead, go on without me. And I'm looking at wow. the pictures, who was that girl with my face? And like, wow. like, I didn't even recognize myself. And I just wasn't very happy. And I'm like, this is not okay with me. And I have you know, health issues in general, but now it was like very problematic. So I had to do something different. And so I got a trainer who actually used to um, play, uh, he, he's an ex NFL player. And so he was pushing me really hard in training and I would joke about joke around about like you know you gonna have me looking like one well, of these bodybuilders one day like you know with all this and he's yeah. like that's not a bad idea you know you actually enjoy working out something worth considering it so uh, me and one of my friends we decided that we would sign up you know for fun kind of a deal like that'll be our motivation to keep training for fun. <laughs> well like not actually yeah. compete we would just sign the up kicks and giggles. as our
0: <laughs> the things no the things that Wanda thinks are fun you alright I'm gonna do engineering no. for fun <laughs> well I'm, I'm very goal, goal motivated so if I got a goal
2: I charge at it and so like having that goal of get on stage and don't embarrass yourself bodybuilder right and so like not even really hardcore just get up there where you blend in like you don't want to be that person where they look like one of these things don't belong here (laughs) and so that was the goal is like how do I kind of get into this and not embarrass myself And, you know, uh, and I ended up actually doing it because it was like at this stage, my trainer was like, by this time I'd actually, you know, I'd started my second postdoc. So I relocated a new trainer. He's like, you got nothing to lose. And so I I did it and it was a lot of fun because I realized – it reminded me a lot of the PhD journal journey, right? Like nobody, I, I wasn't doing it because I had to. And the things, the sacrifices I had to do were things that, you know, were my choice. Like I can choose mm-hmm. to eat this slice of pizza or I can eat this salad. And it was just like, oh, these are all about my personal choices and understanding mm-hmm. here are the goals that I've set out for myself. And what am I willing to sacrifice to meet these goals? And it was just really mm. interesting in terms of, I saw a different side of myself and reckoning with myself, so to speak on that journey Mm -hmm. and like and I can't say I was successful a lot of times sometimes the salad didn't get eaten that day like it just wasn't gonna happen Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and but it was very (laughs) interesting kind of seeing how you discover another side of yourself in that process and then yeah. um, I, uh, I in that process, I was always like, um, I'm sorry. Before that, at the same time when I just started training to compete, um, I'd met a group of girls, some girls on the run um, in Charlotte, um, and they were talking about training with a swim coach. And I was like, I want to learn to swim. I've always, you know, I've always been. A, I'm a Pisces. I'm a water girl. I love being in the water. Can't swim to save my life. But you know, I'm forever in the water, <laughs> risking my life. Like I should actually learn how to sustain myself in that space. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they were like great you, you can do a triathlon with us
0: never mind I was going to say how are you from Florida but I know too many of us um, traumatic experience and swim. this is typical
2: for a lot of black people um, we've had traumatic experiences with ineffective you know again I went to underserved schools and so you have mm. unqualified people teaching little kids how to mm. swim and I remember mm-hmm. I was in kindergarten and, the, and our swim coach idea of teaching kindergartners how to swim was throw you in the deep end swim up and catch his toe I'm not touching oh nobody's feet and i'm gonna sit down here Mm -hmm. one of y'all come get me eventually (laughs) like that was Mm -mm. that was
0: For real? Yes, for real. <laughs> like, you're not no. joking. And I, Yeah, no, not at all. And I wouldn't <laughs> swim either. No. What? Yep, so
2: between that and another near-drowning experience, mm-hmm. I realized mm-hmm. swimming no. wasn't like for I'm me. Good. <laughs>
1: I'm good. I can stand on the land. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can play in water, stay in the shallow. We have one Floridian
0: <laughs> who has given me a legitimate explanation <laughs> for their inability to learn or to swim. So, yeah, you okay. were traumatized. Yeah, I was. Yeah, and trauma, it was just like, I'm, real I'm not going to do that.
2: And so when I finally got opportunity and I heard these girls and I was like I really want to learn to swim this is kind of my season and they were like well you'll do the triathlon with us and I'm like no 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 no. interested in a triathlon <laughs> I just want to learn to swim and so they gave oh, the coach yeah. my number and he called me like hey I heard you're joining the triathlon group no 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 <laughs> I just want to learn to swim I really just I'm really just here for swimming and so mm-hmm. like we would do like he would take us these diff- through these different drills like he also was a coach for like um like boys and girls or um, a, a group of kids and, and he would have the kids with the paddle boards and they would splash Water on us, and it's like, okay, so when you're in a triathlon, you have people splashing around, you need to be able to swim oh, through it.
1: You me I'm
2: not idea. doing a triathlon, I'm just here to <laughs> learn to swim, okay? Yeah, that's great. And so, <laughs> so, oh fast forward, so that's how that happened. You know what gotcha. happened? I ended up doing my first okay. triathlon and loved it. Um, because of all the sporting things I've done, um, it was the one that worked better for my lifestyle, and it took some digging deep in it right the good thing about the triathlon community or makes it i think a little unique compared to other sporting communities because it's three sports you're bound to be bad or question yourself at one of them and it, it humbles you. And so it makes everyone so much more friendly and and engaging. Right. <laughs> and so like you'll have some top triathletes that are just super cool because everyone questions themselves in some aspect of it. For me, of course, the swim is always going to be the part where like, you know, I, everyone talks about the swim. I'm like, my whole goal of swimming is not dying. And every stroke, don't die. Don't die. Don't, <laughs> die, don't die. Don't die. I get out of the water. Oh my God, I didn't die. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> no, don't die. And don't let nothing grab me. Cause you had this thing about not being able to see the water don't touch somebody's toe and actually um
2: (laughs) when I moved to Florida the swim the, the triathlon coach I have here um Karen I told her about you know I'd done these pool triathlons in Charlotte and and all these different places and I was really excited and she was like that's cute I'm gonna show you how to do real triathlons um and she and she got me to do my first open water triathlon and I'm like oh that's the ocean um Where's the pool? Where's it? And so, um, and so she was amazing, um, and just kind of getting me out of my own head. And she was like, you know, the thing is. When you've had that kind of trauma, you're never going to actually get over it. And there's never going to be a time mm-hmm. that you get in water and not be afraid. You have to swim with the fear. You need to tr- like learn mm-hmm. how to do it with the fear. And to me, that was just such a huge life lesson, right? There's some that things is. that like, we're never going to mm-hmm. get over. You have to do, do it scared. in spite of, right? And so, and literally like, I remember like one time I had a triathlon with her um, and the water was coffee black from the cypress trees and it had started to rain and, you know, I'm in Florida and we're in the lake so I know there's gators in there and I was to the point of tears and I'm like, Karen, please don't make me do this. Please, please don't make me do this. I don't. And like, I literally turned into a toddler and she's like, you can do this. You can do this. And I was just, and it was the fastest swim of my life. I got in that water and swam <laughs> for dear life. Like, I don't want to die. I can't see what's in it. Oh my God, what touch my feet? Like, it's just... <laughs>
0: You know, I feel like this is a good place to end this
1: podcast. I'm going to die. Oh my gosh, we'll touch my face.
0: Fastest swim of my life. Do it afraid, y'all. Do it afraid. Do Do it afraid. So
1: I just want to circle back to something real quick. So you've talked about, you know, how you have these different programs in different cities. Can people who are listening become part of this if they have a cool idea? Yeah, so So.
2: we have, with COVID, we just launched our first virtual cohort. Um, And so we are operating fully virtual right now, and which is a different experience in terms of we don't have some of that in-person dynamic, but we have an awesome group of about 12 entrepreneurs that are charging through the process. And so we're building out a model. So I've moved over to UF Innovate. Um, and so right now we're building out a whole um, a learning curriculum to try to get more faculty involved in the entrepreneurship endeavors, um, more mm-hmm. do more for the community um, in terms of how do we uh, take some of these ideas. And I've partnered with some, um, with one of our partners at FIU where you're not just doing the pre-incubator but after the pre-incubator you're thinking about tech transfer and commercialization and really just kind of we're, we're in the process of kind of building this whole ecosystem around our entrepreneurs right and we're launching one of our newest programs of 10 and 5 of can we build like 10 high growth um, uh, uh, tech entrepreneur minority run tech entrepreneurs by taking all of our university state community um, resources and throwing it behind them and how can we really mm. just empower like some solid entrepreneurs that are really passionate and just don't have a good way of connecting those networks and we be that connector for them and really just kind of help drive them. And so we're, we're just really doing a lot more in, in that space of, of looking at it on a, um, a very high level, working with um, entities um, across the state uh, that are very passionate mm-hmm. about being ecosystem builders and learning from them and then feeding into our process like, hey, here's the network if you're in Miami, if you're in Tampa, if you're in Orlando, if you're in Jacksonville if you're in Tallahassee, across the state, here are the people that you need to connect with to really help build out that community because entrepreneurship doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not something that happens mm-hmm. in a bubble and if you don't have that community, you won't grow. And so um, we're right now focusing on the state and once we get that model solid, then we're going outside of the state. And so just kind of really awesome. kind of thinking about how we build strategically such that um, when it comes to minorities in tech launching uh, these entrepreneurship endeavors, we do some of that initial hand-holding and then we got Guide you to some safe places or some safe um, community resources that's going to help you drive it um, drive it home. And so that, that's uh, one of our biggest focuses right now. So yeah, we um, if, if so, we're not the source for you, we can help you get connected with the right one.
1: <laughs> yeah. What are the requirements? Do you have to be in Florida?
2: Um, right now, with the cohort that we're running with right now, we have to be in Florida. And that's just because it's just easier for us to kind of build that model. But th- like I said, this is our first virtual cohort. After this cohort, we'll definitely be opening it up to some um, outside of state um, um, opportunities. So just we're, we're just wanting to be strategic because it's hard for me to, um, for people outside of Florida to say, okay, here are the resources you connect with in your state that are not just generic. So what I do oftentimes oh, yeah, is I go to the different communities and I build those networks and I kind of meet because, you know, some people talk a good game, but they not really. bringing it you know what I mean in terms of that type Mm -hmm. of support and so I try to interact with the people in different communities and so when people come through our cohort I'm like here's who you need to talk to and these are the people Mm -hmm. that are going to really support you and so because we have that network built out or we're still building it out in Florida I can kind of vouch for certain things in Florida that I can't necessarily do um, from someone in Montana per se that I just don't have that kind of network with and so those are the networks as we build capacity then yeah definitely but I mean if someone wants to go through our training then yeah we can definitely open that up but but in terms of that life after the training, I don't and I hate to leave an entrepreneur. I feel like it's the same thing as a grad student. You're kind of out there alone and, and just feeling isolated, and there's just so much coming at you. It's really easy to feel defeated. And so, like, that's really my only hesitation. But if someone's good on that and it's like, hey, I just want you know, like that pre-incubator experience or um that you offer, then yeah, we're definitely open.
0: So, how do people connect with you?
2: Um, so there's a lot of different ways uh you can um <laughs> uh collect the best way is probably through my LinkedIn right now. Um um, it's okay. probably the easiest, um, and uh, you can find me through there or uh, send me um, an email at uh, wgeneufl.edu. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm 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 accessible and open. If you just want to like knock off some ideas, we're there.
0: Yeah, thank you so thank much, you, Wanda. Wanda. This was a lot of fun. I feel like I learned. Just a little bit more about your story, you know. (laughs) I felt like I knew most of it from my extra 10 years that I got through Anderson. But very, very cool. I'm so excited that you sat down with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. As always, you can find us on our website, modernfigurespodcast.com.
1: Send your questions to ask us at modernfigurespodcast.com.
0: And follow us on Twitter. Kyla is at Dr. Underscore Kyla. And I am at Jeremy Waysom.
1: Visit modernfiguresinc.com to learn more about our nonprofit organization aimed at promoting and engaging with women and girls interested in science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and of course, computing.
0: Until next time, stay moisturized, hydrated, mind your business, and protect your peace. We'll